0: Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guest today is David Taylor Klaus. He's a speaker, an author, and a leadership coach on a mission to unearth and unleash the personal master of entrepreneurs and senior executives. And since 2008, DTK, as he's often referred to, has empowered his tribe to take an active and intentional and dynamic role in their development to create a kind of life work rhythm, enabling them to build profitable businesses and raise thriving families and live wildly fulfilling lives. David, I'm glad you're on the show today.
1: I'm excited for our conversation, Max.
0: Uh, likewise, you know, and and we were talking prior to the show a little bit to get to know each other a little bit here and talking about our common, um, our, our common fondness and desire to do more to help people feel and live differently. And as coaches, we ask different kinds of questions. I am so excited that you could come on and offer uh, – our listeners here today, another perspective in how you coach your clients to different levels of, of of success in their own lives. And I know you just recently wrote a book on mindsets, and it's Mindsets Mondays, right? It's a shift every every week, every week for a year, and and they get to have this kind of contemplation and reflection and action in their life. Let's get let's get into it. Why why this book? Why now? Um, <laughs> so there's a two fascinating and very different questions. Okay. Why
1: this book is, I, I, two reasons. One is I was challenged to write the book that I needed to read. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I needed this at 14. I needed it at five different stages through the last three decades as an entrepreneur. And, and I didn't have it. Um, and also, Max, I didn't want to be an author. Mm. I, I fought it because that meant that I had to put my stuff out there, and then people could say nasty things about it, and I would take it personally. And I didn't want that. Mm. And I got challenged by a marketing guru, Jody Hirsch, that I've been working with for 25 years. And I said, Jody, I want to be, I want to be more comfortable and facile speaking to any content through my the lens of my point of view off the cuff and on camera. Mm. And she said, okay, what if you flipped on a live video, took one of the quotes from the back of your business cards, I have 50 different quotes spread across my cards. Mm-hmm. And she said, and just talk about leadership and mindset, the things that I work with my clients on, mm-hmm. for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, awesome, Ugh, I don't mm-hmm. wanna do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's where this all started. It was literally just my working on my ability to shape my point of view and be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Jody knew that it was supposed to become a book and all these other things that cascade from it. I just sort of heard that as blah, blah, blah. Right,
0: right, <laughs> right, right, right. right.
1: And, and what shifted was that when the community started to kick back what they were learning about mindset, mm-hmm. it started to surface really what my what my thought leadership was around it. Okay. And it sort of it started to come together, and in a fascinating format. That's where the book came from.
0: Mm. And what what are you what are you trying to help people understand as they go through this journey? Like, what are some of the mindsets? And maybe we could get into some of that real quickly for some of those listeners who are saying, you know what, I need a change right now. I'm feeling like there's a yeah. lot of stress in my life. And and number one, they're not alone, right? I mean, we're right we're all feeling a lot of stress at this point. So how do we reframe for ourselves, maybe in this very stressful time that nearly the entire globe is experiencing all at the same time? Well, there are a
1: lot of things right now that are or can be stressors. Mm. The challenge is there are also a lot of things over which we have zero control, Mm. no impact, no shield or shift from. Mm. And stressing over those, that's exhausting and of no value. Mm. You know, stressing over the things I can't change. Mm-hmm. It takes my energy away from addressing the things that I can change. So one of the concepts in the book, I, I, I toss it in, in, the, in the introduction. There's a quote from the Talmud, although most of us hear it as a Carl Jung quote, <laughs> that we don't see the world as it is. Mm-hmm. We see the world as we are. Mm-hmm. The powerful piece that comes from that truth is, Wow. When we change the lens through which we see the world, we change the way we experience it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear, when we change the lens through which we see the world, we change our lives. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's needed more than ever. The the looking out at the world and saying, oh, my God, look at everything that's happening to me. Mm-hmm. That's a victim mentality. That's a reported on life. It's not a created life. It's not the opportunity to decide what it is that you want to see true and create the conditions to make that reality. Mm -hmm. That's what our opportunity is. Mm -hmm. And we can sit in the stress, which is physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting. Mm -hmm. Or we can begin to shift, taking the smallest actions possible to shift our lives little bits at a time. And part of what we were talking about pre-show was the. Chapter 17 in here, it's words create worlds. Yes. Pay attention to the language that we're using, mm-hmm. right? Pay attention to the language that we're using because it helps us shape the world. You and I were talking about, uh, are, are you willing to play with that again?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: We're playing with that idea of there's something that you wanted to do around your shifting your business. And you said, I need to do that. Yes. And Just from our conversation and from reading about you on your site, Mm -hmm. there's such a passion about the impact that you're, that you want to have in the world Mm -hmm. and how positive and driven you are around that. And yet you were using language that was totally external Mm -hmm. need to, or have to Mm -hmm. instead of language that's internal, Mm -hmm. the want to, or get to, or blessed to be able to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just that shift changes the energy that you have available to create whatever it is that you're looking to create next mm-hmm. and that's we, we we're always looking for these massive changes it's the small ones repeated daily that make the biggest difference in our lives mm-hmm.
0: and and easier said than done i would say like you said you you needed someone to challenge you to get that piece started in your life oh yeah and you said, you know, when you mentioned, you know, I was afraid of what people might say. I put myself out there. People are going to criticize it. It's just exhausting. I don't know if I want that in my life. Oh, no, I, I know I don't want that. You know, I still
1: don't want that.
0: Okay, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but you put yourself out there anyway. Yeah. How did you make that shift in your life? How, what 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 was that pivot? Because I know you, you said the publisher, you know, encouraged you. And I, I love that story. I love that story. I'm wondering for my I'm thinking of my own clients and my own my own friends who are listening to these shows and saying they feel this stuckness, but sometimes, you know, the motivational the, the motivational stuff they're reading on Facebook to just say, Hey, just shift your life and everything will be different. It's it's they're they're trying to figure out what does that look like? How do they do that? Um I, I sometimes sadly also I've I've been a coach for some people who um, are very um, well. Depression and suicide are are a big topic, and so how do you get people to be able to make a shift, maybe to make that transition?
1: Um, yeah, that's that's where I was in two thousand five. Okay, and that's what I was navigating. And and here's the truth: the trying to do it yourself is dangerous. Mm. And let's be real, when you're dealing with depression and suicide, whether it's depressed thoughts or clinical depression, trying to deal with that yourself is deadly. Yeah. Right? We're wired to be in connection. We are humans. We're animals. We are physically, neurologically, neurochemically, epigenetically, we, evolutionarily. We are wired to be in connection with other beings.
0: Wholeheartedly agree.
1: And you can't navigate Neuroatypicality. You can't navigate things like depression and suicidality, suicidal thoughts alone. Mm-hmm. And you can't do it without working to see what you want on the other side. Because mm-hmm. right now, those that are depressed or suffering from depression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are only seeing what's right in front of them, and they're only seeing it through the lens of catastrophizing forward. All the things that could possibly go wrong. Now, I'm on a tangent for a second. We have hundreds of thousands of years of being animals and the individuals that preceded us, the ones that were always thinking about all the things that could go wrong, avoided all of them more successfully than the ones that were going around happy-go-lucky, blithely not paying attention. The second group got eaten. (laughs) The first group survived. Mm. So our brains are wired to think of all the crappy things that could go wrong.
0: Mm.
1: But we're not in danger of being eaten by saber-toothed tigers anymore, mm. right? And yet, we think about, we look at the economy as a saber-toothed tiger. We look at the neighbor who's saying nasty things as a saber-toothed tiger. That's the way our brain responds to a threat. Mm-hmm. So we still behave unconsciously at the most primitive level like these animals. And when we give in to the looking at how everything can go wrong, we are wired for paranoia in that perspective. Mm-hmm. We also have the opportunity for pro mm-hmm. Paranoia is the irrational belief that everything in the universe is conspiring against you. Mm-hmm. pro is the irrational belief that everything in the universe is conspiring in your favor. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you considered anything or everything that could go right? We often fail because we're not prepared for success, right? UPS used to have an ad that was a brand new site gets flipped on and they see, ooh, there's one order, there's 10 orders, there's a hundred. Oh my God, there's a thousand. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. I've worked with so many companies since 2008 that as they came out of that economic readjustment that we had in 08 and 09, mm-hmm. as the economy started to lift, they weren't prepared for the growth mm-hmm. and they buckled after because they were so prepared for things going down, they didn't prepare for things that were going up. Mm. The way I got out of that depression, in in addition to seeking help from others and connection from others, the way I got out of that suicidal place, that depression place, was envisioning what I wanted for those around me. I, I had learned that children of parents who commit suicide are 50 times more likely to attempt suicide. That's not the legacy I wanted for my children. That's not what I wanted them to inherit from me. Mm. So my work was to imagine the life I wanted for them. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see what I wanted for me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, it was too dark, Mm. but I could see what I wanted for them Mm. and I could shift my world in order to make that happen. Yeah. And so even for your leaders that are in that dark place, It doesn't mean they have to be all the way down in the trough, but they're depressed about what's happening to their company. They're depressed about what's happening to their people. Looking at and painting a vivid picture of the impact they want to be having gives them something to work towards. Yeah. Not just what I want my revenue to be next quarter, next year, next three years, but what they want their impact to be and on whom. Right, right. That gives them something rich and vibrant to work towards and to stay
0: here for. That's right. And that's certainly the invitation, absolutely. And to be clear, for those who are listening, you know, there is a big distinction between professional help in terms of counseling and psychology and what we offer as coaches. And there is a clear distinction. So while we have talked about some very heavy topics here, um, I also direct people where they need direct help. I totally agree with you. I I often refer to some of these folks that – Actually, aren't I my business client group? The people that that call with those kind of needs typically are people who just know me from social media, and they yeah. reach out saying, "Hey, could I just have some help?" and And I say, "Wow, that's not. It's not my space and domain, but I can be a I can be a good listener. I can hold space. I can create sacred space to listen to a friend."
1: Coaches can work with people if people have clinical depression. A coach cannot work with something that's clinical. Mm -hmm. They can work with you on how to live with that in your world, but the depression has to be treated clinically by a clinical professional. Same with ADD. Anything that's neuroatypical that's clinical, coaches can have a hard line that they can work with. How you work with that and be with that and live with that in your world, but not working with that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I wanted to the make the line sure. is not to be bled over. I, absolutely, yeah. I agree with you. And I wanted to make that very clear for folks yeah. who listening today I might just you know think, hey, there's two coaches going off. No, mm-hmm. we we, know, we understand the distinction. Um, hard, bright line. It, there is. And, and I, I, I only brought it up to say that there's a lot going on today. And as coaches, we can still help people to reframe, to rewire, to think about different ways of mm. describing that world that they're living in, right? And, and like you said, one of the reframes you, you shared beautifully was, how can you create a, a, an excellent place for your kids in the future yeah. If you can't even see it for yourself, but at least I can see it for someone else. How can I do that for someone else? How can I be in service to those that I can help along the way?
1: That, that can be a brilliant access point. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's the only access point you have left, but it's the starting point. And that's sometimes all we need.
0: Where else do you go with your, with your leaders? Obviously, that's in a pretty hard spot. And as you said, as, as human beings, we are neurologically wired to connect with one another. That's getting harder. Okay. It's getting harder, particularly as we speak today, um, as we shelter in place, trying to prevent a lot more um, you know, of this pandemic that we're dealing with globally. But the emotional part of that is just insane. People are not feeling the connections that they would like to be feeling right now.
1: No, and although we've had a brilliant conversation even before the show, this is different connecting totally. over electronics, whether it's phone or Zoom. The video doesn't, the video helps, but it's not the same. The mirror neurons just don't fire. I totally here, agree. Here's the reason it's even more messed up, right? When I'm looking at your eyes on a camera, it looks to you like I'm looking down because it's several inches lower. When I look at the camera, I can no longer see your eyes. Right. So there's an inherent level of disconnection in Zoom. And then when you're having a meeting with people and you've got 12 people on the screen, you're looking all around all the screen and everybody else unconsciously feels like you're distracted because you're not looking at them.
0: That's exactly right.
1: We haven't solved it so that the camera is a pixel size right in the middle of the screen somewhere. We, we just don't have the technology resolved yet. So no matter how much Zoom is pseudo connecting, it's not. I know, it's Neurologically, hard. it doesn't do the same thing. And and when people are feeling disconnected with everybody outside the house, it's even hard for them to connect inside the house. So so this is the other piece, one of the undercurrents of the work that you and I do in Mm. in this book and and I'm sure in the book that you're gonna write Mm -hmm. is is that idea of intentionality, Mm. is being intentional. We're watching relationships get strained, particularly life partnership, Mm. right? Because people are so wound up and distracted and, oh my God, overloaded, right? That the essence time isn't happening. Yeah, The time where two of you are sitting still with each other without a screen. Mm-hmm. Being in connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Genuine, genuine connection. And you know, it's funny that you say that about the Zoom because we don't see each other eye to eye, even though we are looking mm-hmm. at the video. I'm looking at your eyes because that's what I want to do. I want to look at your eyes. But to do that, like you said, I'm not looking at my camera. Although I do intentionally bring my Zoom screen up to the camera so that I'm trying to elevate (laughs) where the view is, right? Exactly. (laughs) An interesting conversation. I, I, I have a podcast coming out very shortly with the executive over Teams at Microsoft. Yeah. And we talk about how they're trying to humanize the technology better. to make it a more human experience because he realizes the human connection is so important as well. And I said, oh my word, this is just crazy. So I mean, I'm loving that we're talking about this connection is huge right now. What else are you suggesting in terms of how do we move forward here? What are some of the other steps you suggest for clients when they're thinking about, hey, I've been stuck. We reframe, we can rewire, we can think about different ways of looking at the world. We can go with more intentionality and the words we use and how we use them, as you suggested for me as well, right? The fears that I live with or the things that I think about that might prevent me from publishing more content um, or what we do, right? The stories we tell ourselves and why we tell ourselves those stories.
1: And yet, I got to see your smile, which the the listeners won't get to, when you said publish more content, right? I got to see you light up, and and you know what I know is that this is going to happen as soon as you stop worrying about how it's going to happen. Yeah. It, and but seeing how you shifted when you talked about it, that's what that's what's missing when people aren't in physical connection. So at the very least, the video connection makes a difference. So what I suggest is right. now more than ever. There's a concept I preach about. There's a concept I scream about. There's a concept that's in the book. It was an early broadcast in Mindset Mondays with DTK. It's the idea that if you want to grow your company, grow your people. If you want to grow your people, grow yourself. Leadership always starts here with yourself. And that's a piece that more leaders are understanding now. My God, 12 years ago when I started this journey, so much of it was, oh, here, fix my team. Fix my team doesn't work any better than fix my kid. <laughs> you want to change your kid's experience and growing growing up, work on your parenting. And that's another that's another show we can do.
0: It right?
1: is. Leadership and parenting, the only difference is what audience starts out shorter. But the, the the idea here is it starts with growing yourself. First question for a leader: what part of the problem am I? Always always the only reason i got into team coaching 10 years ago is because as i worked with these leaders and they began to shift their internal culture all of a sudden they would look back at their team and go oh my god everything i just worked on is the culture of the team Mm -hmm. what can we do Mm -hmm. not what can you do to fix them what can we do Mm -hmm. and that's when we start i started adding team coaching to this practice because the leaders were understanding Right. That culture cascades. That's right. It always starts above.
0: It, it. We set the climate at the leadership level. And I my, one of my leading questions for, for the last two decades, actually, with clients is, how do you show up and how does that impact the people you work with? And what uh, yeah, would people impact say- week. Is critical, right? And 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 for me, I always just said. In fact, you're going to love this question. Just I, I'm going to I'm going to watch your response as I say it. But I always would say, you know, how do people feel after being around you? Oh yeah, you know. But here's Jeff Henderson was a, a guest several months ago. Now uh, he's a speaker like us. Uh, he's also a preacher. He actually is in Atlanta. He's in Atlanta, and he's a, awesome. he's a he's a preacher. He 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 said this question. He said, "What is it like to be on the other side of me?" Ooh, isn't yeah, that the beautiful? End. That is beautiful. <laughs> no, and
1: I think that's important. I don't think, yeah. no, I believe that not enough leaders understand that.
0: Mm.
1: Right? There's a concept that comes from Gino Wickman's book, Traction, mm. um, and we've implemented it in one of our other companies and Impact Parents. Um, in your weekly meetings, you start off every single weekly meeting going around the entire team sharing celebrations. hmm. So it doesn't matter what the climate was as they all came in. They're no longer trailing that emotional wake. They're not trailing those emotions like toilet paper on their shoe any longer. They're actually getting in and getting centered in the meeting. Two minutes for each person, and then they get into the work of the team. And it changes the energy and it changes what's possible. You know, how many times are you have you walked into a meeting room? Cause I, you know, I do the shadow coaching. So I'm with leaders while they spend their day
0: sure.
1: and watching people tear in. Well, this is before COVID watching people tear into the room, speeding in, putting the phone down, hanging up as they come into the room, they're still wound up with whatever else it was. And people are judging and being judged for how everybody arrived. And then you get, okay, let's get started. No, <laughs> hmm. we don't shift emotions that quickly. We don't shift energy that quickly. Give you a good example. I, everybody I work with, the first thing we, there are two things that we do first. One is turn off all the alerts for your email on every single device you have. Stop it. Mm -hmm. Email is something you visit and control, not something that controls you, Mm -hmm. right? Second one is do not make a single work-related phone call on the way home. Mm -hmm. However you travel, however you commute, stop it. That's your time. That's time to separate. That's time to prepare for the place you're going to be. Instead of hanging up the phone as you turn the doorknob in the garage to walk in the house, no, (laughs) you're still at work and you're setting the climate at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you walk in disconnected, there's a reason that nobody's excited to see you. Right. Right? Men, women, no difference. So it's start creating the containers to move into each community you're part of with intention.
0: So here's it yes and I love that. I love that. And here's the here's the challenge that I'm I'm getting from a lot of my clients as they work from home now and we move from meeting to meeting to meeting on Teams, there's no disconnect and there's no stop. So like you said there's no it, the, the energy just flows from the meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And then they shut and they go get a quick bite in the kitchen only to go back and do another Teams meeting. So th- that commute's mm-hmm. no longer there either. Right. And so that reframing yeah, has to be intentional, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does. And, and again, that's a top-down,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: when leadership understands that, the point is, look, we're, we're not going to have back-to-back meetings, right, making that a statement or a standard. And either you have a reorienting event at the beginning of each meeting mm-hmm. to get people present, or you provide structured breaks in between. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not talking about structured cigarette breaks, you you know, 50s union style. No, this is we in this organization, one of the team agreements is we don't have back to back meetings. Mm -hmm. We need our people to be able to be present and engaged when 83 percent of employees in the U.S. are between somewhat to completely disengaged. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Mm -hmm. And that's because of leadership, Mm -hmm. not just because of what's going on in the country. That's leadership's responsibility to shift. And putting folks in back-to-back meetings all day, a baton death march of staring at a screen, no. No, 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 that's not going to work. So that's something that gets changed from the top. And the lack of commute at home, open the door, mm-hmm. stick your hat out and say, honey, I don't care if it's your husband or your wife, I need 15 minutes to, get to, to wrap the day and I'll be right out. Set a time. close the door, set a timer and don't do any work mm-hmm. get centered, do what you have to do podcast, music, meditation, whatever then come out give yourself a commute mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: give yourself that pause that opportunity I, I, I do an exercise in my workshops where Amen. we do this we have them flow their schedule on a daily basis and what a daily schedule might look like and then I talk about what are your energy levels as you do things back to back to back what is the impact of that Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 what we talk about is just creating that awareness for themselves of what they're actually doing. I had a, a client once years ago now uh, that said she worked her best under just incredible intense pressure. She she could go clutch, you know. She was she was just she's a clutch player, and that's what she that's her, she took a lot of pride in that. And so I said, hey, just track. I just want you to track when the pressure is just really happening. I just want you to track how many times that's occurring in a day. Yeah. And do that for a couple of weeks. I just want you to track that. And then I just want you to observe what are you experiencing when you're in the middle of that. And after 2 weeks she just came back. She was like, "I had no idea. I just had no idea and and what what it was happening what was happening to her body?" she said. You know, as she would her shoulders would tense up and she was getting her neck her neck was getting stiff and she was becoming <laughs> very exhausted. Yep. And this was this was bef- you know, this was several years ago. Um, just having that awareness, what is that energy level doing to us as we do back to back and we don't decompress and we don't create that time to come into the house in a different way and to show up for our family?
1: You know, a large segment of my clients are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and Entrepreneurs are second only to emergency room doctors in the percentage of folk who have ADHD. Mm -hmm. So there's a big challenge with stimulation seeking and the deadline dance. Those are things that folk with ADD use as motivators right? And so that's a challenge for entrepreneur, owner, or founder operators, because they have trained themselves to thrive on the energy of powering through an intense deadline Mm -hmm. or overloading so that they feel the stimulation and the strain. And it's exhausting Mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is just draining. And part of that is, like you said, bringing the awareness to it so they can be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. There are other ways to find stimulation that aren't Going to kill you
0: right, right, and yeah. what is that aware, and what does that awareness help you to do, even if you realize that you still have to do some of those things, you know, like the burning platform's still there, how do you try to open and create space for awareness of what's happening to you as well, so that it doesn't just become oh well, that's just there's no other way
1: well, right. it's twofold one is understanding the impact of it, mm-hmm. right? And understanding that this is part of your wiring. How do we navigate it? How do we shift it so you can bring attention to it? The other one is setting up the structures around you to support you. The, the challenge is most often when we're in that overloading place, mm-hmm. go to Gay Hendrick's idea from the big leap of the zone of genius versus zone of excellence. Most of the time they're overloading. It's they're in their zone of excellence. They're doing something they're very good at, gotten lots of acc- accolade, they, me, Let's make this Mm -hmm. real that I can get caught up in spending time in my zone of excellence, things that I have been rewarded for and gotten accolades for and felt good about doing, Mm -hmm. but it's not my zone of genius, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, I owned a web development company for 14 years. Mm -hmm. I love twiddling about with my website or promotional stuff and, and all of the pixel pushing nerding out that I love to do. And I'm excellent at it, Mm -hmm. but it's not my zone of genius, Mm -hmm. right? Speaking, coaching, and creating content. Those are my, in my zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And the more time I spend there, the more true, deep, intrinsic, and extrinsic rewards I get from it, the more my business grows, and more than that, the more imp- my impact footprint grows. And yet, it's really enticing to faff about with the website.
0: It's so but- funny, you know. I, I mean, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because there's so many commonalities, which is fun, um, and it's fun to be able to have, you know, I, I get the same energy, that same just joy in creating new intellectual property, helping people to see new ways of thinking and reframing yeah. and coaching and speaking and working with teams and helping them to see something different than they have in the past, humanizing the experience with one another and yes. en- enabling that to occur and just enjoying that process. I just love that. It's frankly, so. Ha- I, it's, it, I should have done the podcast and stayed in podcasting. I started in podcasting in 2010 or 11. And back then we should have I should have just kept going, but for me the technology side of it was yeah. so overwhelming and, and not joyful that I stopped and I only started again earlier this year, and and yet and yet it's these kind of experiences that I find so much joy in that that I allowed the technology hurdle to be the reason why I didn't enjoy this part. Does that make sense?
1: It, it does, and and. I, I get that. Cause it tendency to to say, this is hard. We, we have this perverse idea that we have to do everything ourselves yeah. because that if we slay it, the, the tougher the dragon is to slay, the more reward there is the sweeter, the victory. And that's crazy town. It's like, it, it, for instance, had you found someone to navigate the technology mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. you could have dove deeper into it, yeah. but we have this idea. We have to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And because you're right, in 2010 and 11, the technology was, oh, yeah. It took a lot to do it. Yes. And it took energy away from what you were in it for.
0: I right. get it. Right.
1: And I also get that, wow, what could have been different? And not judging, what could have been different if you found somebody to handle that <laughs> right. stuff that's in your zone of competence or zone of incompetence? Yes. Right. Yes. And we don't think like that enough. That's that's the intentionality of setting back and saying, wow, what will this look like when it's easy? And then looking for ways to create that.
0: That's right. That's right. And and so let's think about that from a doctor's perspective. A doctor who loves patient care got into the business because they love helping and serving people. And they find that a lot of their time is actually doing paperwork and documentation which takes them away from the patient care that they love so much. And I mm. think, as you, as I'm sure you're well aware as well, but the the level of stress right now in hospitals and staffing, it, it, I mean, it's, it's escalated obviously this year even more than it has in the past, but for years, lots and lots of doctors, 40, 50%, very unhappy. With what they realized they were doing, despite the fact that what they wanted to do, because what what they found is what they were doing wasn't what they thought they would be doing, which is creating patient care. Oh no, care, doubt right?
1: No, you're describing my father.
0: Interesting. Right?
1: My dad, my dad, he was an orthopedic surgeon because after Vietnam, that's what he, it's not what he wanted to do when he went to Vietnam. When he came out of Vietnam, that's what he was good at. Mm-hmm. So he was an orthopedic surgeon, and hated the paperwork, hated the operational aspect of it hated the political aspect of it, you know, medical associations and blah, blah, blah. He loved the human side of it. Yes. The diagnostician side, the puzzle side, the interaction. Even when it got to the point of you have seven minutes with your patient. Right. He still loved it. He got a partner who thrived on the political aspect of it. Hmm. And they hired a woman who became their COO and even... 8 years after my dad's passed this woman is now 30 years into being the CEO of this medical practice mm-hmm. COO of this medical practice she loved the process mm-hmm. and her job was to make it fluid and easy for the practitioners that's the key so it's you know jim collins in good to great talks about when you have the right people on the on the bus in the mm-hmm. right seat you can go anywhere mm-hmm. dad was masterful at curating the people who were brilliant at what they did, and allowed him to be brilliant at what he did, mm-hmm. and that's what leaders. I dealing a couple of my clients are, are international conglomerates, and I, I, I'm shocked still how many international organizations say, "No, no, 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 we don't have assistance. Mm-hmm. You do that all yourself," and that's, that's no longer functional. Right? Leading, you know, leading a billion and a half organization and you're still doing the minutiae that you should have an assistant doing who's making, depending on your level, between 60 and 80 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, because that's the culture. No, that's the culture that y'all have continued to tolerate. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's an important thing is it's just because that's the way it was doesn't mean that's the way it has to be going forward. Mm-hmm. That's it. Every day it's a choice. Mm-hmm. The more we can stay in our zone of genius, the more brilliant we get to be.
0: There's a lot of truth. A lot of truth in, in, in allowing us to do what we do well. And as leaders, I would I would I would I would encourage all those who are listening today to consider how are you helping your people to be in their zone of of excellence. And you know, on those front lines where you feel like, oh man, I'm really struggling with a person. Instead of uh, the only thing that Jim Collins, I think some of the leaders misinterpreted out there was, well, I'm just going to get rid of people because they're expendable. I would, uh, you know, some people misinterpreted, I think, the language there. Um, And I think what they should have done is said, how can I help that person succeed in a different role if that isn't the right role, right? Like, let's Mm -hmm. find them the role that works. And when we do that, when we ask a better question, when we reframe that question, we can actually find some wonderful places for people to succeed. I have one business, actually, that I work with that they, they, they pride themselves on saying, we can take the people that other people have let go and they will thrive in our environment. Mm. Isn't that amazing? And they do that's it because incredible. they believe that they've created the systems and the processes that enable people to thrive, not just survive, that's Fantastic! not just survive.
1: Well, it, it, that's, you know, a company that pays attention to its people. Yeah. And, and enables them and empowers them to pay attention to their clients or customers, yeah. those are the ones that have the customers that are raving fans and brilliantly happy. It's amazing. It's, it's always the people first. I have a bias. I think it's always the people first.
0: I am, I'm with you. And that that bias is going to ring true. Uh, what have you learned since you wrote the book? And I know it just barely came out, but what are some reflections you have Um that you could just share with us, and as we kind of wind up here, what is something you'd like people to remember from this conversation? Which we, you know, we've kind of gone on a personal journey here today. We got very personal. I think I didn't. I didn't know it'd show up like that, but I, I'm glad it did. Uh, but what could we do for those who are listening still today and saying, "Guys, we know you guys love people, but give us something here."
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Well, <laughs> let's be terribly honest here. The first thing when you asked me what did i learn from it is oh my god how much deeper could the impact have been if i did this three years earlier when i first talked about it so i did immediately start flogging myself so just to be totally transparent
0: i love that you're um, transparent
1: oh boy yeah and because I, I look at i'm looking at the books on my shelf that are about to get sent out i'm like oh god this could be out of here three years ago so i, I think the other piece what i want for the folks that are listening mm-hmm so often. Look, I read something in 2015 that sort of broke my heart. The Pew Research Foundation said that only 41% of people who buy a book read past chapter one. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of reasons why, um, and did a lot of research as was putting this book together. What I want people to do, even if you don't buy the book, go to mindsetmondays.com, download the rewire framework. That's a a framework that I built into this book that will allow you to take any of the learning you're playing with, any of the mindsets you're playing with, and it gives you concrete steps to take it out into your world and make it real. Uh, We were talking before the show, uh, the books that none of you can see behind me, two of them have been on that bookshelf for uh, almost a year. And and the books that are behind this camera, forget it, I'm not telling you, Mm -hmm. but they're shelfware. Mm-hmm. right because i haven't gotten to them yet and uh, they're shelfware because one reason is i don't have i don't i make up that i don't have time mm-hmm. that's all made up in my head mm-hmm. i'm not carving out time but the other reason is I'm not gonna pick up a book that I can't, that I won't dedicate the time to go out and use in my world. It's not worth reading something if you don't go out and use it. Mm -hmm. And so this book is built. They're short, readily digestible chapters Mm -hmm. with six prompts, the rewire framework at the end of each chapter, to get your butt out into the world using what's in the chapter Mm -hmm. so that you'll embed the learning. Mm -hmm. So often we, I, all of us will read something, put it back on the shelf and never think about it again. Mm-hmm. And, and you heard this, all of you, everyone listening heard this when you were in school, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. And so take the rewire framework, use it with stuff you're learning and start making it meaningful, lasting change.
0: David Taylor-Klaus, I'm glad we had this conversation today. Thanks for joining me on the show.
1: Max, I enjoyed Be well.
0: Thank you. You too. To all our listeners out there, please be safe and be wise and have a great week.